you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to the club that you didn't want to join. With a voice of red disease and this jingle doesn't rhyme. Nordpod, Nordpod, Nordpod. From Offscript Media, this is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to episode two of Nordpod, the voice of rare disease. On today's show, the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Parath, founder and CEO at The Mighty and member of the board of directors at Nord. The Nord board? Nord board. Now it sounds funny. Nord board. Anyway, for those unaware, The Mighty is the world's largest digital health community online at themighty.com, and a free mobile app for iOS and Android. Come on, folks. Three million active members can't be wrong, and I can attest that this is a phenomenal community of hope and optimism and humanity. You got to check it out if you're not a member already, themighty.com. Anyway, Mike and I talk about his family's personal experience with rare disease, working for ABC and AOL before the internet was a thing, and for what it's worth, to look in your own rearview mirror and realize that you created the thing that you and your family only wished you had when you entered the rare disease store that is now helping millions of people every day. Enjoy my conversation with Mike Parada. Mike, thanks for joining me here on episode two of NordPod. I think we've been fans of each other, but I might be slightly more a fanboy of yours um, <laughs> because you chose not to go the nonprofit route. But we'll get to that in a minute. I can't say enough about the impact you've had on me personally, my family members, by creating the Mighty and by joining the board of Nord. You've only amplified the voice that maybe you didn't quite think would be ignited when you started this. So I, I did want to begin uh, by discussing how you got into the rare disease universe, which is rarely by choice. That's that's right. It's a club no one thinks uh, that they want to sign up for. So for me, I'm married with four kids and my oldest child, uh, Annabelle, who's 13 now, uh, when she was born, all kinds of different challenges. And we knew from very early on that something wasn't quite right. And it took us about two years of going up and down the East Coast of the U.S., where we were living at the time, seeing all kinds of different specialists to try to get an answer. And we eventually did. We got um, we found out that she was uh, she has DUP15Q syndrome, um, which is basically uh, she has an extra chromosome. And for her and many others like her, she's, she's autistic. She has a lot of cognitive delays, um, there's some other physical issues. Uh, we're very fortunate she's not having seizures most most people with DUP15Q syndrome are pretty severely affected by seizures. So it, it's, it basically just brought us into this, this new world 
where you know you have a uh, raising a kid is is hard enough, but when that kid is 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 different from you in some ways, right? She's really just wired differently, and um, and then trying to figure out all the ways you can you know you can help that kid. That's you know my wife and I went through that that whole process, and what we discovered was that um, the way that you know we were getting the most help was uh, was by connecting with other people, talking with other parents. And so the idea behind the mighty was really, could we build this, this, you know, platform for anyone to connect to each other around health conditions? We understood how strong the bonds were um, when you, you know, talk with someone who is in your shoes um, in this way. And, and I just felt like there ought to be a platform that connected folks for any kind of health condition that was out there. So that was really the, the idea that kind of sparked uh, the mighty. Who knew that finding someone that went through what you went through was a good idea? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, there's so much that there's so much power in these shared experiences that we that we all have. I remember a particular moment where, you know, my daughter had a hard time getting a pincher grasp, basically when you put your thumb and your forefinger together. Right. And it comes naturally to all of us and it didn't to her. And I, you know, in a fit of frustration, went online and posted something saying, does anyone know how to help help my daughter? Like, I, I don't know what I can do to help her get this. And a mom from half the world, halfway around the world, wrote back minutes later and just said, "Yeah, uh, find a sock, cut two holes in it for her thumb and her finger, and find food that she really likes, and just work with her. And she's only going to have those two digits <laughs> to pick things up with." And it just made so much sense, right? It was like mind blowing to me that, like, of course, this is you know, you're not going to get that advice from a doctor. You're going to get that advice from someone who has done the same thing has gone through that same experience. And so, you know, that was just one of many moments that just showed me how powerful these shared experiences are. And, um, you know, the idea behind building community was to leverage that in some way to kind of pass on that wisdom, that knowledge for, you know, for anyone who needs it. It's like the moment you realize you're not the only one is such a gestalt moment that you didn't even understand what it could mean to you emotionally. I was diagnosed in 96 with brain cancer and it took me seven years to find another person who was diagnosed with brain cancer that wasn't eight or 80. And that day, I will never, I'm still best friends with him. His name's Craig. I talk about him all the time on my show. And that day was such a galvanizing catalyst because it really angered me that I, how could I have possibly gone this long to meet a guy I wished I'd had known on day one to give me what you just described as the life hacks of how to get through this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and those who have been through it, like, you know, you and me in different ways, when it happens, it's, it's instantaneous. It's, oh my God, like this, this is exactly what I need. When we started the mighty, you know, people saw it as first up as a publisher and then really as more of a social network. A lot of people, you know, saw, saw it as, you know, just, you know, social media. And I, and I think that what we're really solving for um, is isolation. It's when we talk about the health issues, you know, it's not a matter of like, we're going to get the right medical information to every person in the right amount of time or those things that we're, you know, we're trying to help with that. But more than anything, it is trying to solve that isolating experience of going through something that none of your family or friends has gone through. <laughs> it's, you know, they can be helpful and supportive and empathetic, but it's different from, you know, I, clearly the relationship you formed with this guy who you just instantly both get it. Like, you're like, yeah, that part of it sucks too. <laughs> Right? Yes. And I think that that's, that was the impetus really behind starting the mighty is helping complete strangers around the world, find each other and giving them the tools to help each other. We can get out of the way. 
I'm looking at the mighty. Uh, I mean, I was there when it launched, and I'm like quote there when it launched. I was aware that it was up there in 2014, and I have an odd sort of like parallel analog to that, having also a founder starting something that I wished that I had that just didn't exist at a time before the internet when things like Huffington Post, Yahoo News, AOL Health, WebMD were just starting to tell us how to think, but not how to be. And I really wanted to build something that did connect people to each other. And seeing as how you did this from, uh, I really hate that the first perceptions were, oh, just another TikTok, just an, it was not that. You had taken the, the I won't say the failed model because we didn't quite know what was anything in 2004, 5, 6 with content into a democratized platform of journalism and humanity. And if you if, if no one's ever said it that way before, I'm saying it now. And it really <laughs> did create like stupid everything. Uh, that, that, that is, uh, that is great. I'm totally going to steal your line about journalism. Um, uh, you know, bringing those different aspects together. I think, I think that's right. Um, journalism, humanity, we started with stories because, I mean, it was my own experience the day my daughter got diagnosed. I did what everybody does. I go to Google and I looked things up and, um, I found some medical information, but it wasn't particularly helpful. What was most helpful was this old PDF file that I found that had six stories from parents of kids with the same condition. And reading them was, um, it was hard because it was a lot of raw stuff in there. I, I you know, started really learning what autism was. I started learning, you know, I'm reading about kids having 30 seizures a day, really tough stuff, but there was humor and joy and courage and these things, elements in it that were surprising. And it just made me feel like I'm not alone. I'm not the only one out there. And that was what I needed on that day. And, uh, you know, have my background is in journalism. I spent most of my career at ABC News, NBC News, and the New York Times. So I didn't, there's only certain things I could bring to the table in starting this. I, I was not a tech guy. I did not know how to code. I didn't know how to build an app or build a website. Um, but I knew the, again, the power of stories. And so we started with first person stories, actual people sharing their own experiences, helping them frame that into a well-told story. And when we started, you know, bootstrapping this, it was, let's do three stories a day. We're, only gonna, we're just going to do three every day, and then we're going to try to get them in front of people who would find them helpful and meaningful. And that strategy worked really, really well. I think health is a hard thing for people to engage in. It's a lot more distracting and fun to watch, you know, TikTok videos or something right, like course, that. But yes. but if you can actually deliver healthcare in a way that is um, meaningful and entertaining and you know thought provoking, inspiring. Um, I think you're much more likely to get people to engage in it, to start talking about it, to open up, to talk about the vulnerabilities and all of those things. And so that the, the content side of it, the storytelling side was a really important component in kind of, uh, you know, getting us going at the beginning. Yeah. And, and again, it, it reinforced what we had been learning in the oncology sector for the 10 years prior to when you launched, starting in 04, when the word survivorship was kind of becoming, uh, I would almost say like a clinical conversation around that quality of life is tantamount to quality of care. And if you don't yes. start to look at your well-being, then you're doing a disservice to what, you know, how they can very dryly call it an outcome. And this notion of peer-to-peer -peer health has now become a real science. And your platform has demonstrated proof of science. And it's also past the muster from cultural 
approval and cultural consciousness. You're still here and thriving six years later when all these other platforms have drizzled up and died because they didn't have that approach. I do think the authenticity really helped us. I mean, we are now sitting at three, you know, over 3 million members of our community, you know, people who share with each other all sorts of different things. But yes, I mean, I, I think that the authenticity and the trust uh, are so critical, especially in something like health. You know, this isn't sports or music or pop culture. This is people opening up around health. We have a 24-7 moderation team um, that needs to be there to keep this a safe and supportive community. So, you know, that's all of those things, you know, kind of go into the, the fabric of what we built. And, and hopefully we can grow it into something, you know, much, much bigger uh, from here on out. Yeah. So when you, I guess when the gestalt moment, when the aha moment hits you and your wife and your family and your colleagues that I want to start this platform, were you thinking mobile app? Because that really wasn't terribly trendy in 2014. I wasn't thinking so much of the, of the for like the format. I, I was thinking more of the, the feeling that we want to convey, the brand, the, again, the storytelling, all of those components. I think, you know, it's easier to engage folks on an app because you can send notifications and it's, right. you know, they're, it's, they've got it in their pocket and all of that. Uh, we started as a publisher first on web. And then as we built out more of the tools, you know, we essentially built a publishing company and then built a social network on top of that. And when we got to the social networking components of it, it made it uh, really clear that that needed to be an app. And so uh, at this point, most people who are reading stories on the web are doing it or or, or on mobile web. And most people who are having the conversations are doing it through the app. So, but to me, it's, I'm agnostic in the sense that I just want it there for people, you know, for, to be able to help people. And regardless if they want to access it sitting on their desktop or opening up the app, it should be there and available for them. Yeah, I, I, I launched uh, two mobile apps in my in my career. I may never do it again consciously because it was I, – I have no hair now because of cancer. But if I had <laughs> hair, I'd have no hair now because of those two mobile apps. And I believe the philosophies – like Steve Jobs always say, don't give someone what they want. You give them what they didn't know they needed. And apps and user communities should drive the ideation, not the people building the apps. Did you find, like, you know, Twitter had no hashtags when it launched 10 years ago, and users created the hashtag. You found any life hackeries of the users that gave you yeah. uh, tools within within the platform? Yeah, so I would say, so we do have community leaders. Uh, we actually have a Slack channel that's open, so we're in constant communication with these community leaders, so they can tell us at any hour or any day, what they're thinking or what we, what they think we should be doing. And so, but yeah, I would say, you know, one of the things that, that became clear was just the culture within different groups. I mean, we say we're the mighty community, but really it's the mighty communities, people who are talking order um, and how they communicate that. You know, I didn't know that um, it's kind of a taboo. Like you don't, you don't use numbers. You don't put your, your weight when you're talking about those things within those types of groups. Whereas in other groups, uh, let's say, uh, you know, someone's trying to, to um, lose weight or it's around diabetes or a number of other things, it would be co- totally natural to, to talk about those things, right? And so what we realized is, you know, we have policies and guidelines overall at the Mighty in terms of, again, keeping this a safe and supportive community, but community leaders themselves managing specific groups often have to create their own, right? And that there's there's little intricacies that will make it a better place for people within that specific community. So there are all kinds of things like that that we learned, you know, along the way um, in terms of building this. And I'm sure we'll continue to learn all kinds of things. You know, once you take this, the aspect of, this is hard for a lot of people on our team, 
to go from us being a publisher where we're choosing what stories to put out there to essentially handing everything over to the community and say, run with it. Back with our guest after the break. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So, Mike, it must be really challenging to manage such an incredible team that is facing narratives every day that can be tragically depressing. And what have you done to rally your staff, morale, uh, inspiration? The only reason I ask is because, you know, when you're running a nonprofit in cancer, you can see some really, really horrible things that are tragic every day. What are you doing to maintain optimism and discipline? Uh, That's a great question. I think, you know, so the most important thing for us actually was one, hiring the right people. And for us, that meant we hired mostly people that have existing health conditions because they get it. They have a, they have a profound sense of empathy. And the reason they wanted to come to the mighty is because they themselves got it. They understood how important this was and they're, you know, sensitive to people's um, needs and situations. So that was, I think, really uh, critical for us. In terms of you know one of the things we did when we when as we were building the team, I think you know the other part of it is to make clear to everyone who works on the content and community side that they are not expected to be licensed therapists. <laughs> that the expectation isn't that they're going to solve everyone's problems um, or the challenges that they face. And so um, we do have uh, situations where if if people are in some kind of you know crisis mode or whatever, we have partners um, you know the. Uh, suicide hotlines and things like that, that we can bring in um, when appropriate. And so we have to make really clear to our team what the expectations are and what they're not. Uh, the, the part that's, you know, what they aren't is really important for, you know, for folks to understand. And, you know, look, the reason we call this the mighty versus diseases and disabilities.com is because we want to, <laughs> good, well, choice, wanna, by good choice. <laughs> we wanted to kind of flip this notion that everything is negative, you know, around this, like, we're not dismissing the challenges of living with or caring for someone, you know, um, who has whether it's a rare disease or something else. But you know, my wife and I experiences all kinds of amazing moments with our daughter that we never would have anticipated the day you get this diagnosis, and it feels like, you know, this gut punch. And um, so the mighty is also a place to really celebrate those types of things. And I think that's, that was one of the, again, crucial things. And getting this going was, this doesn't have to be doom and gloom. 
um, it really it really shouldn't be. So that, I think that's an important part, aspect of the mighty. No, that's really important, and it ties to a lot of the um, sort of again. I just keep going back to oncology because that was my my career. There are a lot of patient leaders of other platforms and other nonprofit organizations that have to be told you're not a social worker, don't prescribe any medicine, you're here to do X, and there were trainings and certifications. So kudos on that. But let's get to the the obvious. I would say the zebra in the room, which is Nord. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you not only got a chance to build a universe that you wished you had for your family and helping millions of people, you had the opportunity to join the most preeminent rare disorders, rare disease nonprofit uh, of, I would say, of, of the last 40 years. I mean, they're 37 years old. How were you approached and what, what, must, what the, must have felt like to be given the opportunity to serve on the board? My first encounter with, with Nord was attending uh, one of their rare disease summits. And I think what was eye-opening to me was, you know, I was coming at this from, you know, what we tried to do with the, uh, with the Mighty was, you know, we, we were tapping into the emotional side and all the ways we could help people. What I saw was, again, eye-opening was the policy side of all of this. And I think um, the, the Nord is better than anybody else in, in terms of this, in terms of really figuring out the ways to speed up, you know, clinical trials and to do all these things that are so, so crucial for, you know, for families um, with someone, you know, with a rare disease, um, helping all of these nonprofit organizations, you know, get started with um, a genetic registry, all, all the all kinds of things that they may not know that they need to do that will um, help them get to a point of working with, um, you know, companies on treatments and all sorts of other things. So um, that was my first encounter. I was really impressed with uh, the organization. And then over time, I got to know folks there better and served on some rare disease commissions with, um, with colleagues who were at Nord. And, uh, and so when they approached me and said they, you know, they, they, um, they thought that I could be helpful you know, serving on the board, it, it, it didn't take me, you know, more than a second to say, yes, yes. I would love to, I would love to do this. Uh, because I, when I think of people like my daughter and look, we're not on sprints, we're on marathons here and all the ways we can help her. I really believe that Nord is, is one of the you know leading organizations that will help, uh, help us help our daughter and, you know, the, the millions the tens of millions of people with rare diseases in the U S just again, it's, it's- such a wonderful serendipitous turn of events to have to go through all that nonsense that no one asked to do and then to be able to do something i hate the lemonade to lemons thing i just, just someone's got to invent <laughs> a bet someone please listening to the show invent a better euphemism than lemonade from lemons so you're now doing that what have you seen as a board member in terms of the trajectory of i i i've dove in so much in the last six months to become the strategic advisor and and work with with you guys on launching this broadcast channel. Uh, what have you witnessed since you started on the board of, of real tangible evidence that this is a big deal? I'd say number one is the people. I'm so impressed by the people behind Nord, folks I work with on the staff, um, other board members, community leaders. These are nonprofit leaders that are, you know, I think of Nord as kind of this umbrella organization and there's lots of other nonprofits, you know, that were part of it. My, again, my first experience was with Duke 15Q Alliance when we were a member of Nord. That's how I got to know Nord, and um, just the entire, you know, organization and everyone in it. They're passionate people who are really talented, really smart, um, and and work well together. And so, people was the thing I was most impressed with. And then I, you know, I think that it's been 
figuring out all the way, w- what areas can I help on? I'm not going to be their policy guy. I'm just not. I don't have <laughs> right. for it. They've, they've got other <laughs> people for it. So I've been looking at what are the ways I can insert myself and be, you know, be helpful. And some of that was, again, on the, on the marketing side, it's, it's, I, I don't even think of it as marketing. It's how do you get more people to talk and engage around what they're dealing with and to help right. each other. Exactly. And, and so that's an area that, you know, um, I've had some success in. And so that's, you know, I, I've worked with a number of different team members, you know, at Nord um, around that. You know, people have different skill sets, different strengths and weaknesses. And I think one of the strengths that I can bring, you know, to Nord um, is that, you know, finding the right people and pulling them together, you know, helping find other potential board members for Nord. I'm a bit of a connector in that way. Um, and I think those are some of the aspects that I can do to some of the things I can do to help Nord. But really impressive people, really, you know, I think, really well versed in the policy side in a way that is everyday people don't understand how much work goes into fighting for their rights and to fight for their ability to get access to treatments and, you know, um, the grants and all of that. There's so much work that that entails. Um, and it's, it's, it's silent work. People don't see it. And I'm much more aware of overall, just very impressed by the operation. So I guess when you combine the world's leading patient advocate organization for rare disease with the world's largest digital health community, you, you can pretty much guarantee it's a recipe that things are going to suck less for millions of people. <laughs> yes, I would say sucking less is, is, a, is a good goal to have, particularly in, in rare diseases where, look, there's, there's very real challenges. And, you know, um, all the organizations that work in that space are trying to make people's quality of life significantly better. And I do think, you know, uh, the Nord and, and the Mighty are very complementary in that. And I'm ha- happy to you know, help bring those two together. Mike Paraff, founder CEO of The Mighty, and as a father of four, and I'm a father of two, a braver man than me. Thank you very much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew, very much. That's all for today. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Leslie Nordstrom. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Karen Lee is our production manager. Valerie Don Francesco is our marketing manager. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary and the post-production team at Offscript Media. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit nordpod.org.